0: We serve a good God, we serve a really, really good God, and I'm convinced that as time goes on, our understanding and death and the weight of our sin gets, is continuously blurred, and because of that, the need and desire for intimacy with God is no longer wanted or desired. And today I want to introduce you to guys, to some of you, to for the first time. Many of you have met these characters before, but I want to introduce you to a couple of characters who embody that. So first thing we want to do is I'm going to pray. We're going to get into some scripture. i are going to talk to you about Jesus, and then I'm going to get out of your way. All right. Father God, I'm so grateful for your son Jesus. I'm so thankful that even when I was dependent and we were dependent on ourselves, you still loved us enough that through the seed of a woman provided a sacrifice so that it would draw us back to you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart will be pleasing to you, my rock and my strength. Jesus name I pray amen, amen. let's going to jump right into Genesis uh, three we're going to start at uh, let's start at uh, Genesis 3:20 and let's stand for the reading of God's word The man called his wife, wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You may be seated. Now, this is, uh, this is the end, or at least for this section of the narrative, this is the end of a very long catastrophic day for Adam and Eve <laughs> that started off great. It started off amazingly great. Um, If you're familiar with the story, in the beginning, there's God, and God just goes on a creative binge. (laughs) He he decides that um, that because the earth is formless and void, he's just going to fill it up with with things that reflect his glory. So he hangs up a a couple of moons, a couple of stars. He hangs up the sun, and he does it without a hammer or a nail. He he just speaks it into existence, and then he, and then he, then he creates land, trees, vegetation. He creates water, he creates water without a breeder system. <laughs> it's fresh. It's clean, right? Then he then he decides that he's going to create man, create man in his image, and he takes the dust, it's probably in the desert, so he takes the dust, and out of it comes man, and he breathes life into man. Right? So everything is good. He says, this is all good. He says, and it was good. And then man, he looks at him and says, you know what, it's not good for you to be alone. Amen? Amen. He says, it's not good for you to be alone. So he parades these animals in front of Adam and says, you know what, that, that monkey is just not good for you. I got something better. <laughs> so I'm going to put you to sleep real quick. And when you wake up, you'll just be <laughs> just, You'll be thankful. <laughs> Puts him to sleep, takes out a rib, creates a woman. Immediately after Adam sees, sees, sees his wife, he starts singing to her, <laughs> bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? And now they joined in marriage. They're unashamed, and they're happy. But before God creates the woman, he tells Adam, he says, you know what? This is all yours. All of it is yours. Enjoy it. Cherish it. Have dominion over it. Store it well. Just this tree, don't eat it. Don't eat from this one tree, and you're good. All right? So what does Adam do? He does what we all do when we're told we can't have something. Our minds will start to work. Why can't I have it? Is it really bad for me? So now all of a sudden the story begins to shift and there's a serpent and there's a snake that shows up on the scene. And it is, I am convinced that Satan doesn't make us sin. He only exposes what's in our heart. And and the reason why I can say that is because Satan or the serpent didn't lead Adam and Eve to the garden or to the tree. He didn't lead them there. He didn't come to them where they were off worshiping God and unashamed in their nakedness somewhere and and then lead them to the tree. They were already there at the tree. And Adam is just staring at it. him and his wife. They're just staring at the tree. And the serpent comes along, and he sees Adam, and he sees the tree. He looks at Adam. He looks at the tree. He looks at Adam. He looks at the tree, and he says, I got him. And then he immediately doesn't doesn't address the man. He addresses the woman. He says, did God say you couldn't eat of any tree? And immediately, we already see the, the working of Eve's brain. So one or two things happened. Either Adam was a bad teacher, a bad shepherd of his wife, and didn't completely explain to him, to her what God said they could and couldn't do. Or she's already beginning to work in her mind that God isn't as trustworthy as she once thought. She says, she says, first of all, she talks to the serpent. She hasn't even said anything to the serpent. She has dominion and power over the serpent, right? So she should have told the serpent to get out of the garden. But she doesn't. She says, well, he didn't say not to eat of any tree, but he did say not to eat of this one and not touch it. Already there's a problem. The devil know that Satan serpent, however you want to put it, knows that he has her. <laughs> because she doesn't even know the word of God. Right? So he begins to twist, manipulate. And then he convinces her that God is a liar and 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 he's telling the truth. Says that you, if you eat of this, you won't die and you will be like him. She says, okay. (laughs) She looks at at Adam. Adam, (laughs) if you try it, I'll try it. (laughs) She bites, he bites. Immediately there's a change. The Bible says immediately there was something different about them. Immediately, the, the, the security that they felt and the, and the safety that they felt and the unashamedness that they felt is gone. She looks at Adam and doesn't trust Adam. Adam looks at her, he doesn't trust her. They're ashamed and they need to clothe themselves. Something happens immediately because of their sin, because of the choices that they make. God comes. God comes and he, and he, he asks Adam, because by, by this point, Adam is hiding behind a tree because he, he's, he's covered himself with a fig tree or a leaf of a fig tree. So God comes and he asks, God already knows. He says, Where are you? He said, Well, I was hiding because I was naked. Well, who told you you were naked? And immediately, you can, you can literally picture Adam, Eve, and the serpent just lined up. <laughs> And he says that, he, he dresses Adam first. Who told you you were naked? And then she looks at Eve. Eve points to the serpent. Serpent standing here. He's like, oh, dad, there's no one to point to. <laughs> but God doesn't even ask the serpent because he already knows the motive of the serpent. He knows that the serpent is there to take as many people with him to hell as possible. He already knows that. And that leads us right to where we are today, right? So in verse 20, he says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, this is a weird part of the text because the part that I left out was the curse. First thing he does is he curses the serpent. You will, you, he, he says that you will be humiliated, Right? And then he, then he says that, then he, then, he, then he preaches the gospel. He says that the seed of the woman will be nicked on a hill by you. But the seed of the woman will ultimately crush that, your head. Right? We'll get into that what that talks about later. Then he looks at the woman and says you will experience pain. Right? He says that, that you will have a dysfunctional marriage. Then he looks at the man and says, you will not be able to produce to your fullness of that you once were. You will struggle and you will die. So after that, the first thing Adam does is he calls his wife's name Eve. I don't, it took me a while to figure that out because I didn't understand it because I'm trying to think about the times where I was in sin and now I'm feeling the weight of my consequences. And on top of that, Adam already sort of named his wife early on. He said, I'll call you woman. But there's something to the fact that man called his wife Eve. And I, I don't think it's odd, and I think it fits perfectly. Now, some will say that it's, a, it's, the, it's, it's the effect of the fall, and immediately Adam begins to rule and ha- and, and with a heavy hand on his, over his wife. Maybe, but for me, I see more. Because not only does uh, man call his, not only does man name his wife, he names his wife named Eve, mother of all living. Now in Hebrew, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Hebrew word for it because I don't speak Hebrew, but I do know the meaning. It ultimately it ultimately means life. And what I think what's happening here is Adam, feeling the weight of the consequences of his sin, has now begun to fully hope. And the promise that God made even when he was cursing him. Adam sees that the that the seed that's going to crush the thing that separated him from God is going to come from the seed of the woman. So Adam now has a new hope. And he begins to take responsibility for his family, the thing that he didn't do in the beginning. He begins to take responsibility for his wife. So this isn't just a a, a passage that's talking about a social hierarchy of where the man fits in and where the woman fits in. But no, this is a call for men to take responsibility and to lead their wives lovingly and with compassion and to realize that through the seed of a woman came a savior. Now, Adam doesn't know when the seed is going to come. It could come tomorrow. It could come next week. He certainly realized it wasn't coming through Cain, <laughs> but there is a hope here, and there is an example that even though things aren't as good as they were, there is hope that it's going to get better, and Adam is now going to trust in the pen that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Let's look on. It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothe him this is beautiful some here look at this as a reflection that Adam and Eve are supposed to be because God gave them uh, garments of skin that God wanted to constantly of them to be constantly be reminded of their sin so he clothed them maybe <laughs> But I know going from Eden to the desert is gonna always be a constant reminder of how good we had it. (laughs) So maybe, but I think it's a lot more. And I think it's a whole lot more. And I think it's because not just the fact that um, it's God involved, but God does two things He makes the clothes for them, and then He puts the clothes on them. God is actively involved with a group of people who rebelled against him. He's actively involved. So it's not just, ah, I want you to remember how much you frustrated me and made me angry. The desert is going to do that for him. He's like, but I want you to do something else. So the first thing God does, he makes them a garment of skin. Now, once again, the Hebrew for this is going to, I can't pronounce the word, is going to uh, reflect the idea of a tunic, right? A tunic is a garment that many people wore. From shoulder or neck to ankle. It was a long garment worn against the skin. And also mostly worn by a priest. A priest is just a modern day person who, who a modern day elder who cares, loves, and prays for the souls of his of his body or community. So our modern day priest would be Pastor Larry, right? Probably the coolest white guy on the planet. Right? So that's so he doesn't wear tunics though, which would be interesting to see. Um, but rather a tunic was once again, supposed to be worn against the skin. It was long, probably wasn't comfortable, but it was, it suited its purpose. So now God goes out, it says he made garments of skin. That means he had to slaughter his creation. That means he had to spill blood. And because it was two people, when it was one neck to toe or neck to ankle, it was probably more than one animal. So several animals were sacrificed and slaughtered to cover up man's shame and guilt, right? So he he, he takes his garment. This is why I think there's a level of compassion here, a level of grace here, because God just doesn't lay the garment and say, you choose what you want to wear, right? God takes the garment, and he puts it on them, and he covers them. It says he clothes them. So I want you to understand what's happening here. God has ripped off skin of one creation and put it on the back of the creation that bears his image. Because he wants to provide grace before judgment. Right? And God has been doing this since the beginning of time. This isn't new for us. He's done it for us. Right? We, we are, what, what is happening is God has taken off the loincloth the fig tree leaf, and he's replaced it. Well, God is saying that you you can't fix this. Because that's exactly what Adam and Eve tried to do. They saw they made a mess and they tried to fix it. It's what we all do, right? My daughter, (laughs) she kicks over a bucket and the whole room is flooded with water. And I go in and she's using this little paper towel and she's quickly trying to <laughs> swirl it up, not wipe it up, swirl it up. And she comes back and she says, it's finished, but yet there's still water all over the floor. <laughs> or even better yet, parents can relate to this. How many times you know your kid is doing wrong and you, you, you creep up the steps and immediately they begin to try to stop doing the sin that they were doing and they try to fix it, only making it worse? But Those are kids How many times have adults have we sinned and knowingly sinned and tried to cover it up and then made it worse? And then we sin again and make it worse and we keep trying to cover it up and cover it up and cover it up until it's just so transparently uh, known to everybody. And We all have done this. We all are Adam, right? So God says, you can't cover up your mess. You can't pay for your own sin. You need a savior. You need somebody who, who's going to, who, can, who can take on your shame for you. And once again, we've seen this throughout. We've seen it. God, God providing grace before judgment. We've seen it all the time. We've seen it throughout history. God providing grace before judgment. He's done it for us. Grace before judgment. Even though they have to live out the consequences of their sins, God still provides grace. We've experienced it all the time. Cain experienced it. God said, God came to Cain and said, your anger is going to get you in trouble. Cain doesn't listen. Right? And God still provides him grace. He marks him so that no one can touch him. He did it for Noah. Gave him the the, the 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 prototype or he gave him the blueprint before he flooded the earth he did it for samson right he gave him a little bit of strength to destroy his enemies before samson died not so that samson could be lifted but but god can be glorified right he did it for the children of israel right he spray painted their Thames before they went into the wilderness with a special spray so that it was waterproof, rockproof, weatherproof, and it never got destroyed. But yet they're still in the wilderness and God's still providing grace. He did it for Job. When Satan went to to God, he said, just don't take his life. And he's been doing it for us time and time again. God has been providing grace in the midst of judgment. Let's look at uh, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. What does that mean? He says he has become like us. We definitely know man has become holy. We definitely know man has become omniscient. We definitely know man is an eternal. So what does it mean when God says he's, he's become like one of us? The interesting thing for me, and the thing that blows my mind, is the fact that God is having a conversation with himself. (laughs) Right? He's having a conversation about himself. So it's almost like an elders meeting (laughs) about what they've just observed. Well, you know what? Adam and Eve has become like one of us. But what does it mean when he says become like one of us? I think to hear what God is saying to himself And what Moses is trying to communicate to the people of Israel is the fact that man has taken it upon themselves to decide what is right and what is wrong. So in a sense, the snake was right. Says you will be like God. Man has decided that I want to be God. I want to decide what is right and what is wrong. And that's the world we live in today. We have all at, at one point decided what was wrong and what was right in our own eyes. And we still do it. We decide, and, and, and this is the thing we do, we, we, we play tricks with our own minds. Because the way we make it good or the way we make it okay is we remove the word sin. Once you remove the word sin from whatever action you're doing, it makes it okay. Okay. And so now the world has replaced the word sin with the word choice or the word freedom. It's my choice. It's my freedom as long as it's pleasing and self-satisfying to me. It used to be as long as it didn't hurt nobody, but that's even out the window. Because anybody that says that the thing that they're doing isn't hurting anybody, has become completely selfish. Because sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. And it ultimately offends a loving and pleasing God. So at this point, Adam and Eve have become like God in the sense that they have determined for themselves what is right and what is wrong. So what does God decide to do? He says, first thing we got to do is... um, Immediately, you see this idea of God still shepherding a people that has rebelled against them. He says, I need to get them out of the garden. Well, partly, mainly because of their sin. But there's another tree in the garden that they never even thought about because they were so focused on the, the tree that they couldn't have. But in the same garden that they could eat from whenever they want was the tree of life. And they didn't. They just decided to take the one that they couldn't have. Now, God decides that I can't have them in the garden with this tree of life anymore. Because if they, I don't want, if they eat from this tree of life, they will live forever. And I don't want them living forever as sinners. So I'm going to remove them from the garden. And it's also bigger than just this tree. The biggest thing is they figure out that Satan wasn't right because not only are they going to die a physical death, but they are dying a spiritual death. Because now after leaving the garden, they are exiled, separated from God because Adam and Eve didn't just dwell there, but God dwelt there. Look at the look at the verse. It says, therefore, God, therefore, the Lord God sent. And then it says again, in verse 24, he drove out. So in verse 23, he sent him out. And then in verse 24, he drove them out. Why does Moses repeat himself? He wants us to feel the weight of the action as what's taking place. Right? He doesn't just say sent out, but he says drove out. It means to divorce, to expel, to get rid of, to put out. And then you see that word uh, drove. It means to to have to leave by force. Adam and Eve didn't leave the garden willingly. Would you? Adam and Eve didn't, Adam and Eve didn't leave willingly. They were driven out of the garden. They were separated from the, their creator. They were separated for the only God they knew, the only God that was and is. So even in the midst of that grace that they just received, there is still the consequence of sin. And that consequence of sin isn't just whatever penalty or whatever um, discipline you, we get for our actions. But that biggest thing is separation from God. And this just isn't a, this isn't a, a, a temporary fix. This isn't a temporary thing where, okay, we go out for 40 days, we do our thing, and then God's going to let us back. It doesn't work that way. And they start, it's starting to click, and they're starting to realize that this is real. This is happening. Verse, and then finish up, let's start back at uh, verse 24. He drove, him, he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden, Of Eden, he placed a cherubim, a flaming sword, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Like I said, this is real. This is happening. There's no going back. And to reinforce that idea, God puts a cherubim, probably a lion-like creature with wings, in front of it to show that this is happening. There's no coming back in here. And then he gives... He gives gives the cherubim a sword, a flaming sword that twirls. I don't know if any of you guys went in action figures when you were little, but this was an awesome sight, but for the wrong reasons. There was a cherubim with a twirling sword made out of fire to symbolize the fact that this is God's justice, that this is God's judgment. And you can't get back in here but there's something bigger to this story, because even though we can't get back into Eden, there's somewhere else we can get into. And that this is the whole point of the story, is the fact that the whole point of the message is the fact that man is separated from God because of Adam's sin. But if we trust and depend on God our Creator, there is something more. If we trust and depend. On the seed that comes through the woman, that we see later on, there was something more. There's something greater. Right? So at this point, we see Adam and Eve. This is a scene that we've seen many a times on the news. Adam and Eve is being ushered out of the garden because of a crime they committed. And when I woke up this morning, there's something that I realized that I didn't realize while I was preparing this message. But what God does throughout our lives to sinful rebellious people, by the way, is that throughout our lives, God is constantly dropping little nuggets of grace to people who have been condemned to a death sentence. Even though we are condemned to a death sentence, God is constantly dropping little nuggets of grace into our commissary that ultimately will lead to Jesus. Jesus. And that's one of the things that I want you guys to realize. We've all experienced the consequences of our sin. We've all even probably experienced being put into a point of no return where our sin has been so catastrophic that we can't go back to the way things were. We've destroyed our marriages. We've we've destroyed our families. Some of us have experienced being ushered out of our homes in handcuffs. We've seen it. We've experienced the consequences of it. And so what does God do? What does God say? He says, even though you have rebelled against me, even though you are disobedient, even though you have chosen to do what was right in your own eyes, even though you want to be me, I am still going to provide for you because you can't do it yourself. You can't cover up your own sin. So what is? So what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rip up my son's flesh. I'm going to let his blood spill, and he's going to take on your shame and guilt. The thing that you try to cover up, my son is going to take on all of your shame, all of your guilt. And then this is the beautiful part about it. And then he clothes us in his son's righteousness. He clothes us. So not only does he prepare it, he clothes us and puts it on because we can't even do that. And then he says, The next time I see you, I will not see a woman who has had multiple partners. I will not see a man that uses women as objects. I will not see a thief. I will not see a liar. I will not see a murderer. I will see my son. He says, I will see my son. There is hope for us. There's no hope for this world, but there is hope for us. If any of you, and I know, I know, and I know this doesn't make sense to a lot of people because for most of us we've been Called, elected, justified, and glorified since birth. But for those who this makes sense to, for those of us who are feeling like we are at the point of no return, for those of us who feel like our sin is so bad that Jesus would never let me back, He says, first of all, you're right for feeling that way because you have taken responsibility. But he says, you know what? I love you. For those of you who have been ignoring Jesus' call because of whatever sin you're so deep in, he says, I love you and there's hope for you. He says that if you just let me, I will clothe you in my son's righteousness. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. The reality of it is, is yes, we were born sinners because of our, because of our parents, because of our parents' sin. We have been living the result of it. but we don't have to anymore. We can, we, can, we can hide in you. We can find safety in you. Something that we couldn't always say. Let us take full advantage of that. But those who don't know you, who are still out in the wilderness, who feel like they can't get in, pray that they see that the only way is through trust and depending on you. And that there's something better than eating and waiting for us. Something way better than eating. Eating is done. God has something way better for us in store. Lord, would you just tug and call people in this room to repentance. And to a total dependence on you.